Welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Brandon, and alongside me this week we have Scott. Scott, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. I mean, if we're if we're thinking about the Reds in kind of in that vein, not so not much. so great. But I'm, I'm also also in studio this week. We have Franklin the dog. Franklin, how are you? Are you good? You're good. Okay. Thank you. Those are some hot takes there. <laughs> and uh, on on the phone this week we have Wick. Wick, how are you? Good. It sounds like Franklin's doing well. He's, he's, gonna, he's doing he's great. He's got all the opinions and hot takes today. Yeah. He's already better than just about anybody else on 700 WLW. It's true. He, he, could, he could host the, the post-game show probably. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the Reds. Uh, obviously, we're recording this at... We're recording this on uh, Thursday during the game... Um, so this is, uh, they're in Philadelphia. They had just dropped the last two games to the Phillies. And, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since, since we've recorded, episodes, but, um, we've lost, there was a stretch where they lost 10 of 11 and then it seemed like all hope was lost. And then they, you know, swept the nationals at great American ballpark and then have gone to Philly and crapped the bed in the first two games of the series. That's, there's probably not any better way to put it than that. So. Yeah, it, it's almost as after we gave them uh, some pretty high, uh, what, first quarter grades, uh, you know, in terms of uh, how we felt that they performed on our last podcast. They developed kind of a bad case of senioritis. Yeah. Yeah, it, seemed, it seems kind of like they kind of got a little bit too ahead of themselves and it's I don't know it's been it's been pretty bad the last two days um you know uh and Tuesday's game they took a lead in the eighth inning and, and gave it up and then um and Wednesday's game Mike Leake you know had a had a no hitter going into the seventh and then had a one hitter going into the ninth and it looked it looked like you know, they should have pulled it out, and, you know, he and Chapman blew it, so... Yeah, they're finding new and exciting ways to lose, not involving Jason Marquis or Kevin Gregg. Right. Which... Yeah, which to get that. Like, it's, it's been weird to see who's been behind the reasons they've lost. I mean, Mike Leake has been, you know, generally, for the last five seasons, one of the more consistent starters where, mm-hmm. you know, he'll have an occasional up, but not three in a row, and I think he gave up, what, like 20-plus runs in 14 innings over three starts? It was yeah, just he had a really rough awful. stretch. And then he so came right back for his start, and, yeah. then and then it's a role as Chapman, who, who yeah. you know, tosses one away. Um, it's been weird. I was actually, it's funny, I was talking to my dad about baseball uh, mm-hmm. earlier today, and um, being that he's from Kentucky and grew up a gigantic basketball fan, he actually compared it to uh, when you look at a box score of a team that's supposed to be really good, and Everybody shot over 50%, and there were no turnovers, and they out-rebounded them, and you look up and they lost by five, and you have to, like, scour the box score to figure out what one thing went awful to figure out what it was, and it's like, oh, they went eight for 23 from the free-throw line, or they had, like, 25 turnovers, and aside from that, everything else looked great. Like, the Reds have kind of been that team. Mm-hmm. You look at Brandon Phillips moved to leadoff spot, and it's hit great. Like, Joey Votto is hot again. They stacked the lineup with Todd Frazier, 
up at the front. He's been absolutely destroying the ball. Yeah. Jay Bruce has got a 340 on base percentage and is walking like he never has before. They've got three rookies mm-hmm. in the rotation that have done I mean, pretty well. Like, you got the player with the worst OBP in the lineup batting ninth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Pitchers included. Yeah. Want them to do, they've got they're, it done. They're, yeah. Yet it's bullpen and hitting with runners in scoring position and leading eight out of nine innings a game and then losing. Like, well, you know, I mean, and yeah, let's not let's not discount that, you know, even on this bad stretch, you know, Todd Frazier won the NL Player of the Week last <laughs> week. Like, it's it's amazing that this this team is losing the way that they are. And, and the, the non-enrolled as Chapman part of the bullpen through something like 21 consecutive scoreless innings. Yeah. Right in the pool of the losing yeah. Like, they finally rectified what had been, you know, kicking them in the butt all of April, and that's when Johnny Cueto was missing starts, Mike Leake was awful, and suddenly they're losing in a completely different way than they did two weeks ago. It's yeah. uh, uh, It's been interesting to, to, to find out which way they, they choose to be snake bit and lose. Well, and then... That's kind of what it comes and down to. It's, and talking about the rotation, like... They when they were on their you know lost ten of eleven streak, then they had the three rookies going against Washington and nobody thought they had a chance. And what happened? Do you have I mean, an opinion about that, Frank? Strasburg. They beat Strasburg. They beat Jones. Yeah. Well, they beat they beat Strasburg with like an asterisk because he pitched. You know, like what? How many pitches did he make? Eleven. Before. Yeah, I mean they they beat Strasburg, but really they beat the what they beat his slot reliever. He was a reliever. I don't. Yeah, they had a reliever come in and pitch a bunch of innings, and they finally won on Sunday too. Yeah, which yeah they lost what every Sunday game or yeah six weeks. Ridiculous! It's <laughs> all those uh, all those Scobert Sunday previews. <laughs> this team isn't winning, but they aren't playing that horribly. Overall, they're just kind of having these little moments where where things aren't going well. Yeah, it's like they just have like one aspect of the game that fails spectacularly right. every night. The, yeah, it's a very good way of putting it. They, yeah. they, it's, everything else is motoring right along. Players are having good years. Guys you didn't expect a whole lot of, especially the rookies, are having pretty good years. And then you look up and the best closer in the game has got like a 1-4 whip. And it's like, how? How did that happen? You know, and it's yeah. cost three games in the last two weeks, which is just, for, for a team it's that had like this little margin of error as the Reds did, it's, it's super yeah. odd to see that so many of the players that you thought you'd never had to worry about their performance are the ones that have kind of, kind of been the ones that have cost them the game so far. It's been, uh, it's been odd, but the interesting thing will be whether or not that, uh, that, that prompts the powers that be to take notice and do the old uh, plan for the future thing, you know? Right, so. which... Yeah, and that, that's a pretty good uh, jumping-off point, I think, to our next our next topic. So, you know, where the Reds are right now, they by no means look like they're contenders at this point. I, I mean, I think you'd be pretty deluded to think that the Reds are going to get back into the division race. And, you know, the, the wild card even is probably a real long shot at this point. Is, and, is it bad that I haven't even looked at the standings? Um, I think they're still in fourth. They are definitely double digits back of St. Uh, Louis at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, St. Louis has the best record in baseball. Yeah. But, yeah, they're 12, 12 games back in the division currently, which is, that's pretty bad. 
hopefully far enough out of the wild card to where it's not something that's going to tempt them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, I mean... The false illusion that that we were possibly one or two players away from playing a one-game playoff on the road. Yeah. Which yeah. was which was kind of the issue last year because they were what they were fifty and forty fifty and forty one at one point and that was the same it was the week before the All Star break yeah the they, they, they were they were three and a half they were actually three and a half games out of first place yeah. at the All Star yeah, uh, near the All Star break the wild card spots yeah like barely a game, like yeah two or three games out of first and that same week was when they put Phillips on the DL with the the bum thumb. Mm-hmm. And Votto won the DL, which ended up being for the rest of the year. And they came out of the All-Star break and lost, what, nine in a row, seven in a row? And it was just all... And the frustrating part about that wasn't necessarily that, you know, they were under the false hope that, hey, maybe we're one or two fa- uh, one or two players away. The, the problem was they didn't do anything in terms of either buying or selling. I think we're probably in a position at this point, particularly based on contract years of a couple of players, to assume that the Reds, you know, probably will want to maximize their returns on a number of uh, right. number of players. I mean and yeah, if if they don't do that then the front office people aren't doing their job, basically. I mean and I I do wonder about just this team in general, though, because I, I do feel like the Reds are, are different than most teams in that I, I feel like Bob Castellini will will do anything he can to try and make this right in 2015, when even I'm sure even the people in the front office are already kind of saying, you know, it, it might be time to maybe see what you can get for some of these guys, kind of start building for the future. But I, I feel like when you have an owner like, like Bob Castellini, who is, is more of a fan than anything, he wants, he wants the Reds to be good right now. And I, I do wonder how that clouds his judgment as far as, as far as this trade deadline goes. Yeah, and I've, I've tried to look at this, you know, kind of, well, objectively, but yeah. I can't help but look at it subjectively. And objectively, it is subjectiveness. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, in, in hindsight, I think we can probably all agree that due to, you know, just contracts and players getting all this, you know, that window that we kept referring to as the Votto window is closing just because of, you know, the unaffordability of the other players. And, you know, this Reds team is, you know, it reminds me that probably in terms of most recent teams, you know, the Minnesota Twins before their last rebuild where mm-hmm. they had, you know, uh, Morneau and Maurer and they just kept going and, and they kept going to, uh, you know, NLDS ALDS, uh, you know, series and just not moving forward, even though everybody thought that, well, it's a great team. It's got Santana. It's got, you know, uh, yeah, it's got Torrey Hunter, but, you know, they just never took that step forward. And they realized sooner or later, oh, we're going to have to, you know, go into rebuild mode. And unfortunately, I think we are quickly coming to that particular, uh, you know, crossroads as well. 
Yeah. yeah. I, the, the Castellini angle is it's it's fascinating more than anything else because it's for one thing it's great to have a team that you follow every single day that's got an owner that's got both the ambition and the money to back it up. Well. When, yeah. And when he when he bought the team when he when yeah. he took over the Reds it was what it was two thousand eight. Is that right? Well, that's true. I mean, he has more ambition than money. That's the uh, issue, I think. Like that. Yeah. Seven. Oh, seven. Oh, seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, but when, he, but when he took when he took over the team, though, it wasn't like he was shopping around for a franchise that had established stars that were going to be around forever and uh, was taking over a team that was going to instantly flip into the playoffs. Like, they had good young prospects. Mm-hmm. Sure, they had Jay Bruce, they had Homer Bailey, they had guys that were on the on the brink. But he took over a franchise that wasn't a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination, and mm-hmm. hadn't done anything in a long, long time. And you know, even even once the 2010 team broke through, he's up payroll by 50. percent I mean, he's taking it from yeah. 70 or even more than that, 70 million dollar I mean, team to 120 million dollar team. He's put his money where his mouth is, I, and the question is. Does he have the ability to want to make that five-year, four-year cycle again, knowing that he's done it the first time and knowing that he's done it with the management that's in place underneath him? Mm-hmm. Or is he the kind of guy that's nostalgic enough to want to think that he can still pull off well, a five-year window and, and make an eight-year window? I, I think I think it's it's right a little bit – yeah, and I, I think he's more more the second one where – and I, I tend to think that – I don't know if it's just him. Bob, or if it's the whole front office, I, I would hope it is not the whole front office that thinks this way. But I, I kind of think that you know this this run that they prepared for, and you know in the you know two thousand eight two thousand nine, and kind of have been going on since two thousand ten. You know, I think that there are probably people, you know, in the management or front office that think that that run is still going on. And I think that that's more than anything. Yeah. It's it's not necessarily it's a, it's not necessarily saying, do we want to do this again? It's first of all coming to the conclusion that hey, this run is over. And I I mean I think that that's that's kind of it's going to smack them in the face if they don't get out in front of it. Which is it. it's kind of ironic <laughs> to put it that way while we're watching the Reds play the Phillies, whom are a team that it took a little longer than yeah. should have for them it's to realize a very, that. Very, very similar situation. It's it's like Ruben Amaro is running the Reds too. Oh God! It's, I want mean, to give I want to give Walt Jockney a little bit of credit here, and I don't want to give him too much because obviously he's 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 getting pulled in both directions yeah. here, and, and there's so much about that that we're not there to to watch, other than. You know the, the the ledger, so to speak. Right. But he did trade Ryan Hannigan as he got older. He traded Alfredo Simon. He traded Matt Latos. There yeah. are there are inklings in there that suggest that he's exploring those options, and it's it's a delicate balance that obviously, as we're looking at the product on the field right now, hasn't panned out so much for 2015, but. Uh, you know, as as our esteemed colleague Charlie Scrabbles wrote today, mm-hmm. there are pieces on this team that if you look up and you bust your butt and you get the best possible return for them in a season that's not going anywhere anyway, you can you can have a farm system going into next year that looks a hell of a lot like the Reds' farm system in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. 
Yeah. And it ended up being 2010, and 2012, 2013. And I, I mean, I think when you look at comparisons, I think the Cubs are a pretty clear, clear comparison to what the Reds could do if they went all in and did it. Right. You know, the Cubs right. or yeah. even the Astros. Very, very good point. Yeah. I mean, the I mean the Astros to an extreme extent. Yeah. But the, I mean, the Cubs didn't get rid of everybody, but they got rid of most of it. And the Astros were augmented by just completely, but you know, Im- they, uh, purposefully imploding, yeah. so they can get number one they draft picks. Yeah. yeah, they 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 some of which they signed, some of which they didn't. Yeah. Right. Well, they signed them the next year, uh, right? Or was that another team that signed? Say no, Aikens. Uh, Aikens is the one that didn't sign. Oh, okay, gotcha. And Aiken, yeah, Aikens in this draft. Yeah. yeah. That's and they may draft that's, him that's again. They can't draft him. They can't. Okay. Yeah, They're really barred from drafting him again. I did not realize that. Okay. I read that today, and I still have not... I am not clear on the rule that... But they can. They can that. still try to sign him right before the draft, right? Um, I believe that ended last year since oh. it, was two, it was a two-year-ago draft, right? Aiken was? Aiken was two years ago for the, the Astros, right? No, like, Aiken, was, Aiken was last year... And they didn't sign him. They had a they had a whatever window it was expired, and uh, so like they they couldn't go sign him tomorrow, could they? No, no. Right? And then he opted There's to something. go pitch. He opted to go back to school, and then ended up having Tommy John surgery. Oh, wow. So um, kind of like what happened with uh, this year, seven months into Tommy John recovery, and so <laughs> right. Well, he's, still, he's still technically a first round talent, but somebody's going to have to take a, a big flyer on him. So, yeah, at least. Yeah, I mean, you, you look up like Johnny Cueto, Aroldis Chapman, Mike Leake, the three most popular names that are on the, the you know, the, the impending ship out ledger. Um, if you get, I mean, that's three top end prime performers. I mean, obviously, Cueto is an absolute ace at a bargain contract, but that runs out, you know, what? 18, 20 starts from now. Yeah. Earl's yeah. Chapman's got a little bit more shelf life because he's got next year, but he's making $9 million this year and probably 13 next year. Yeah. And he's barely you, you from 300 market. pitches in the major leagues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you if you trade those three guys and you do your due diligence and you get returns and you don't wait for another two months, which is, you know, that's that's another, what, eight to nine to ten starts off of how much you can get out of Cueto, mm-hmm. there's a chance you could land five if not more, top 100 prospects. Yeah. And between that and the fact that 2014 sucked enough to where you have a, a top 11 draft pick next week, uh, and you've got like the competitive balance pick that throws you in another one that after the second round, there's a chance that between now and the end of July, the Reds could add seven guys who, in theory, could crack top 100 prospect lists. Right, and, and that, I mean, that goes with... That's the- got to be intriguing. The couple not, guys that they already have in, you know, Winker and Stevenson, guys who are in the periphery and probably, you know, could either make their debuts, you know, late this year if if they just completely blow it up or next year at the earliest. Yeah. I mean I mean Stevenson's past two starts have been very encouraging. Yeah, he's he's starting to kind of get it in AAA, I think, and that's that's really that's a good sign and I, you know, obviously Winker you know, I I think if you know the Reds do decide to get rid of some outfielders, Winker could be fast tracked a little bit and kind of take some knocks and bigs. Stevenson, Stevenson yeah, was interesting I mean, because you know up until like 
three innings into not his last start, but the start before that, he gave up like three runs and three innings pitch, then retired 11 of the next 12. Right, yeah. And continued that momentum to his following start. Yeah, there, there, I mean, and there aren't a ton of prospects even that are capable of even doing that. Like, yeah. We're not going to find too many out there that have the strikeout shots of Stevenson. That's kind of how he's stayed on the list despite kind of a mediocre year last year mm-hmm. and has been a you know, hit and miss this year if we're, if we're talking about it. but Stevenson's almost like the – he's the perfect inverse for double-A hitting and then mm-hmm. – and double A in general, in that he's got the stuff to overpower you, but he doesn't have the command. And it's almost, and I've only seen, I think I've watched three of his starts uh, through ML, MILD.TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see, like, the break on his curveball, and you can see the velocity on his fastball. And I don't want to do anything to, to, uh, to denigrate the catching that's been calling the games for him. But it's almost like you can see the, the, the threat that he is on the mound, but he's got to have somebody who calls a game for him in a way that he begins to replicate it, you yeah. know, where it's not just throwing hard at what you are and, and throwing a breaking ball on a two-strike count, where it's really getting into that, that, that pitch sequencing and pitch location stuff. Because, let's be honest, his stuff is second to none in all of baseball right now, major leagues included. I mean, he's got a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And a curveball that's a you know a seventy grade pitch by most everybody who sees him, but getting through the games and ignoring uh, 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 batters to the point where you're walking seven, eight, nine guys per nine innings. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I think as he makes one more step and gets a little bit closer to the major leagues and starts working more with catchers that have experience with guys who have done that. Um, that's where he's going to take the best next step, and hopefully. The refining he's done in the last three or four starts where he's striking out the world when he's been on the mound. Right. Uh, we'll let that happen sooner than later because I think that's the one thing that's going to make the biggest impact on him. Because there's always location guys that, that come through double-A. There's the, the Josh Smiths that throw 90-91, but they hit their spots. And mm. they're going to do very, very well in those levels because they can get by on their location. Because the pitch sequencing that they've got is outsmarting those hitters get him up two levels, that's not going to work. Stevenson's got stuff that'll work. He's, he's not a Matt Maloney fun. type. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely a power it's, pitcher. It's going to yeah. happen, and hopefully it'll happen soon enough to where he plays into this rotation that's, you know, lost Simon and Latos and is going to lose Guido and probably lose Leak between now and next year. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And hopefully maintains Desclafani and Lorenzen and an Iglesias that actually, you know, can get yeah. some stamina. I mean, pitch and, you know, yeah, if, if we're, if we're actually thinking about it and putting that together, like, you know, if you have those four and then a healthy Homer, Homer Bailey next yeah. year, like that's, there's a lot of potential in that rotation. Like that, this, I don't think that this needs to be, you know, a, a two to three, three year, year build. rebuild. Yeah. Like this, this could be not, not not a reload, but you know, maybe maybe you have a team that can do something in twenty seventeen. And, and let's you know, not forget that next year's free agent pitching market is as deep as any has ever been, mm-hmm. and there will be available arms that the that the Reds can get. You know, if they if they work well enough in training the guys that we've talked about to free up enough payroll that's not going to be committed to next year. Even with the races that, you know, 
Homer's getting and that Joey Votto's getting, there's going to be room to go sign a guy if you don't have an Aroles Chapman on the roster making $13 million in the back of the bullpen. Right, I mean. have a, uh, another pitcher sign. There's going to be, I mean, guys like Giovanni Gallardo, mm-hmm. who's been a perfectly serviceable number two, number three starter, he's going to be like 12th to 13th best pitcher available next year. Yeah, you know, there's going to be like, a number. Of, you know, there's going to be a number of individuals that probably will not have contracts by like January and February. Yeah, and you know, it, yeah. it, it may almost—it's it, a bad comparison, but almost in the situation where you know we got Alfredo Simon for almost literally nothing at the beginning of uh, what was it, 2012, 2010, 20. He was in the bullpen. 2011, then 2012. I don't know. Okay, 2011 or 2012. Sure. Actually, I think it was 2012. But, uh, you know, get them for absolutely nothing when we know that there's plenty of miles in the game. Well, and and I, I think another thing, you know, another comparison would be, you know, what how the Reds got Ryan Madsen. Oh, yeah. Ryan Madsen, where, yep. you know, he had, you know, a pretty good track record, and the Reds got him for cheap to be their closer. And obviously, this spring training injury happened, and that didn't work out. But if you blew his arm out when we were trying to talk to John Faye for an interview while in spring training, yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, but there's, there's it was a good signing. There's a, there's a very real scenario where Mike Leake gets extended qualifying offer, turns it down to hit the open market, and finds out that a no American League team wants him because almost forty percent of his overall value has come from his bat, mm. and b. The Reds are the only National League team that won't have to sacrifice a draft pick to sign him. And he might look up and realize, hey, like, if I – like, the Reds might come in with, like, a 339 offer. Mm. And everybody else won't give him that because he's got draft pick compensation tied to him. And Zach Greinke's a free agent. Johnny Cueto's a free agent. Matt Latos is a free agent. Uh, you know, on and on. There are, right. like – a lot of number one and number two starters out there that they, people might be chasing David yeah. Price. It's um, it's going to be a good value that over that well that undervalues Mike Leake. Right. I what think. It, when, and overall, what I'm getting at is that there's going to be a pitcher or five that the Reds can go out <laughs> and get for a pretty reasonable price for what they're looking for. Right. If that's what they choose to do, if that's the path they go, um, you know, obviously they've got young arms choose to go that route. Fortunately, we've seen Lorenzen and Iglesias and Bascofani be good enough to where you think you can bank on them to at least be serviceable mid-rotation guys. But uh, I don't think the Reds have – they don't have to go chase somebody. And if things fall in their lap, they're going to have options. Uh, yeah. Options significantly better than this year when Jason Marquis for a million five was apparently the best that they thought they could do. If you want my opinion, I, I still – And if you want my but, opinion, still not as good of a decision as having Paul Mahome. On the roster, yeah, but that's my own hot. Take. I yeah, I would have, I would have gladly taken that. But Jason Marquis hasn't pitched in over a week, yeah, now, and is still just kind of taking that roster spot and just kind of rolling with it. Well, you also have to but remember his, 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 his bat off the bench is valuable. He pinched <laughs> it last night. And when you're going to carry eight guys out of the bullpen, you got to have a pitcher who can swing the bat here and there. Yeah. At least the Reds. Oh the wait, Reds no. Have have cornered the market on pitchers you can hit. I'll give them that. Right. And market yeah. inefficiency. Yeah. <laughs> uh. All right. So, go, I mean, going back to the trade deadline and what, what we're talking about, obviously, um, you know, 
The pitchers, the pitchers are pretty. All three of the main pitchers that the Reds have are pretty clear that they would do a team a lot of good. You know, in Leak and Chapman and Cueto. You know, those are those are all guys where, you know, those are the kind of players that teams who are contending at the deadline are going to be looking for. Guys who, you know, with proven track records and eat innings. But when you look at the Reds' position players and I mean, I, I think it's it's a lot murkier to see what the Reds are going to do with their position players at the deadline, but I think there's still a ton of potential that they could get for some of these guys. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you had Marlon Byrd on a one-year deal who just broke his wrist, so, I mean, it's probably a coin toss if he even gets traded. I mean, I think if he's healthy, there is probably a team out there that will gladly take him, but <clears throat> when you look at... You know the other position players. You have you have Brandon Phillips, who is, that's an interesting name on the trade market. You know you have who would have to accept or approve it. He trade, would, though. but then again, you know if it's if it's a contending team where he could win a World Series this year. I mean, I yeah. you know I think that he's he's the kind of player that would want to do that. that but would, he would still have one year left going into the next year. He would almost want to be assured that that starting gig next year is going to be there for him. You know, he's probably not going to take a position. I, I, you know, may not have the highest opinion of Brandon Phillips because this is my opinion. Mm. But, you know, if he doesn't think that he's going to be able to start next year, he will not approve a team, uh, approve right. yeah, I, a, I, I, a trade. I think it's got a lot of, lot of credence to it. Like, he, he wants to win, but he wants to be playing yeah. while they win. Like, he doesn't want to he be, wants to be the reason guy, why they win, the ring, right? not yeah. just be on the roster and get a ring. Yeah. Yeah. More power to him. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that's that's his personality anyway. More power to him. As you look through the rest of the guys on the Reds, 20... They actually have 25 healthy guys. 20, no. 23-man roster, we can call it. 23-ish, 25-ish man roster. There's a lot of intriguing names. And, I mean, we've gone over the ones that the Reds are obviously going to be marking. We've gone over the Quaidos and the Chapmans and the Leaks and the guys who are... You know, there's contracts that dictates the Reds are going to be calling teams about. But the one guy who I honestly, if if I was another GM and I was looking at the Reds and saying, hey, they're going to need to trade players if they know what the hell they're doing, I'd be calling left and right about Tony Singrani. And I, I, he's got four years of team control. He led all of base, all of National League, second only to Max Scherzer in all of baseball. In uh, strikeouts per nine innings in 2013, among, I think it was like the, of the uh, 80 to 90 plus pitchers in all of baseball who threw over 100 innings. The, uh, the Reds have obviously not handled him the way he's wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he fought with him last year about being put on the DL and shut down for half the season after being sent down. He obviously wanted to be a starter this year and got sent straight to the bullpen and then didn't get used for almost two full weeks. Uh He's a former top 60 prospect. He's a lefty who can throw 95, 96 miles an hour. Mm. He doesn't have a lot of polish on his secondary pitches. But if I'm a team that looks up and says, hey, the Reds are selling, I'm calling about Tony Singrani. Whether or not the Reds are willing to acknowledge that they're getting offers on a guy that they severely undervalue or not, I don't know. Although, although one thing one thing about Singrani that does kind of concern me though is that you know he's I mean he he originally came up in what 20, 2012, 2013. 
And so... Except 2012 and 2013 was his Right. So, you know, and the knock on him since he was drafted was that he didn't have enough secondary pitches. And it's, it's 2015 now, and he still doesn't have enough secondary pitches. You know, that, I, I think, you know, I, I, lo- I love his mentality. I love what he brings to the table as far as his fastball and slider go. But at the same time, if, you, if the Reds came to him and said, you know, I, we know you want to start, but you need a couple, another pitch or two, and that never happened. Like, it's it, it's kind of that's not it's it's kind of his fault in a way. You know that being that, that being said, you know when, when it comes to Singrani, uh, the fact that he is under four more years of team control may also suggest that he has quite a bit of value with the Reds as well, particularly mm-hmm. if they're going to move Chapman. If they move Chapman, I would imagine everybody well, in the bullpen. But probably moves I, up a notch or I, two. I think that you know when you and they'll give him as good at, of a look as they can. Oh, or I, any I team think boy. I think Tony Singrani would be a pitcher perfect closer. Yeah. in Major League Baseball. But I think I don't think Tony Singrani sees it that way, and that's an issue. Yeah, I think he's yeah. he's still pretty convinced that he's going to start at some point for somebody. He's the he's the team. T- he's a, that's, <laughs> that's great because no, like he's he has like mentally. He's exactly what you wanted a pitcher. So he he's basically he, he he's wants been, to beat your ass. He's basically him. the Tim Tebow of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's and that's kind of what I'm getting at is that you know I don't think he's the guy that the Reds market at all. I think yeah, even though they clash and they bump heads, obviously and they've done it for years now. Um, you know, they draft him as a closer and then wanted to make him a starter. Then he kicks ass and strikes out everybody as a starter and then they want to make him a reliever. And so I can understand why, if I'm Tony Sigrani, you kind of feel like you've been jerked around a little bit for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But he's got team control and in the right circumstance, as you know, as you guys just discussed, he's got a ton of value mm-hmm. and could be the right fit for something he doesn't even acknowledge might be what his path is. But I think other teams might look up and see, hey, guy has shown a lot of stuff. Guys butted heads with front office. Front office is handling a team that's selling guys. Mm-hmm. Let's call about him. And, and, yeah, uh, he, he could be a, a change of scenery guy for sure. Yeah, yeah and, and he's got enough marketability and enough of a reputation to where I think they could extract some value from him. You know, whether or not they get what they want for him, I don't know. But that's he's always been that one guy where I look up and I'm like, man, well, for one, it's because we rarely see him anymore. I mean, he gets you know, called to the bullpen once a week, if that. And two, he did flash that one season as a starter. We had what 20, sec- 20 consecutive starts of not allowing five more hits. Is that right? I yeah, I think that was his uh, major league debut streak, right? Twenty thirteen. Wasn't wasn't that wasn't wasn't that his like? It's it's the longest streak to ever start a major league career or something like that. Yeah, or so not allow more than five or less and, six. That? Games, and so. you almost have to. You almost have to think that, frankly, if the Reds are going to trade him, mm-hmm. and we've already demonstrated that, or we've already, you know, uh, we're already working on the assumption that the Reds themselves are undervaluing him, mm-hmm. then we're probably not going to get the type of return that we probably deserve for him because of that. Yeah, you know, that's that's the converse for it. I guess what I'm saying is, is that 
Quite a league of Chapman are the marketable pieces that you know are going to be on the market. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Reds choose to shop Frazier, they're selling high on him. Well, and, and, that yeah, that's, and, and that's kind of – that's the next thing we should probably start talking about, right? Is, well, just to close on Sinclair, yeah. what I'm getting at is if, if I'm a GM and I'm trying to buy low on somebody on the Reds, Tony Singrani is the guy I'm calling about because mm. I, I feel like it's not going to take an overwhelming offer to get the Reds to say yes on him. If they choose to say yes, because they can't ask the rule for him the way they handle it. So, yeah. But yeah. Right. And that, I mean, that, and that kind of does bring us to the, uh, you know, the other position players who still have some control, but could be, could be valuable trade chips. I mean, obviously, I think Todd Frazier is probably first on that list. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody with the Reds wants to trade Todd Frazier. I don't think that, you know, I and he's obviously a player kind of on the on the up still and he's you know still kind of not reached his potential yet but if, if you're the reds and you know his value's never been higher at the same time and you know if he's going to be on the decline you know the next time around you know you have to consider it, right? Yeah, I mean, Frazier, as much as I love him, and he probably is my favorite player on on, on the Reds, mm-hmm. he has, at this point, a, you know, for, I guess, the next year, year or so, a very te- team-friendly contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is currently, you know, the number three hitter for the Reds. Uh, he is a player that... You know, how old is he? Twenty nine. He's twenty nine years old. So sooner or later, he's going to be, you know, moving to that back end of his career. Mm. This probably would be the, the the peak time for him. And if the Reds are going to be are not going to be competing during that peak time, they they probably should try to maximize whatever return they can get for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, as much as it's fun to watch him hit home runs without his hands. And frankly, uh, you know, uh, there has never been somebody that I've ever seen that's been so automatic throwing to first base on a ground ball. You know, it he just throws a laser to Joey Votto absolutely every time, or whomever is playing first base. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, but, mentioning his age actually kind of made me think of another similar circumstance where the Reds brought him up. You know, gave him gave him the starting job. He had and just kind of worked his way into being an all star. And then the Reds ended up selling high, and that was Aaron Boone, mm-hmm. where you know he he was a you know a fan favorite here. I mean, arguably, he's an all star. Yeah, and made the all star team in that year that the Reds traded him. And now never and, needs to buy a beer when he's in New York ever again. Yeah. I mean, he, the the Reds got rid of him at the right time, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he got a, they got a lot back for him. I think what what did they get back? Well, for they got Drew. Was that Drew no, that wasn't Drew Henson. It was Brandon Clawson. Yeah, Brandon Clawson, who was at that a big, point a big prospect in his own right. That point. Yeah, I, I mean, but, yeah, that was before everybody realized sure. that Yankees prospects were terrible. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but even even more recently, you look at uh, I mean. <laughs> Even though Walt Jockety cut his teeth coming up to the Oakland Athletics organization in front office, it's impossible to you know compare him to the way Billy Bean operates. But mm. you look up at the trade of Josh Donaldson last year. Um, 
which was a similar circumstance. It's a guy who was a late bloomer and a guy who played great defense at third base and whose power developed late, even though he was a, a solid prospect and a guy people kind of soured on because he didn't bloom at age 23 or 24, uh, but a guy who developed late and who was under team control and contract uh, during his prime. So he wasn't the kind of guy you were getting late into his career or whatever. And he sold eye on him. And, you know, you look at the return that they got, and they got Brett Laurie, who's a established major leaguer who had more team control, and they got some side prospects on there afterwards. And I, I think the return that they got at the time seemed a little bit light. It seemed quantity more than quality. Mm-hmm. But it also was Billy Bean looking up and saying, hey, you know, he's not a kind of guy who we're going to sign for six years. But if yeah, sign and that's... six years, he'll be 35. And, and his window didn't line up with what they had on the other 24 spots in the 25-man roster. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something the Reds have to consider. I, while and I feel, like, I feel like that's a pretty good comparison for Frazier. Yeah, and but, I, I also think, and I may be digressing a little bit just based on what uh, our esteemed friend Charlie Scrabbles wrote today, another individual that kind of lines up in terms of where we think the Reds' next window is going to be compared to where their peak is going to be is perhaps Zach Cozart, who has had a very, very promising almost breakout year thus far with, with the Reds offensively, in addition to you know his defense, which you've already known about. And it's, it is like, and like Frazier, he's, you know, he's an older guy for being in our arbitration years. He's not, he's not Jason Hayward who came up at 20. Right. He's a guy who, you know, age-wise is pretty much at his physical and production peak. And it's weird. He actually, like, his, if you look at his minor league career, it actually kind of mimics, you know, with a, with a major league qualifier on there. He had that one freak year. I think it was at double A. Yeah. Where he hit, like, 310, stole 30 bases, on-base percentage of, like, 380, hit, like, 15 home runs. And that kind of peaked his prospect stock because it finally put a bat to match with his glove. And this is the year that that's happening at the major league level. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Frazier in the in the minor leagues had that absolute dog year in 2010 yeah. that really reduced his value from a guy that was a comp pick, basically, mm-hmm. you know, first round. Yeah, he was the number one prospect in the red system and a top 100 guy. Exactly. And, then, and he was a shortstop, and then he hit, like, 198 the first, or even, like, 112 the first half of, like, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, you know... He just completely fell off of every prospect list that was out there. Yeah, and, and obviously the obviously uh, the caveat with with Cozart is is that the Reds that's one position where the Reds actually have a ready made replacement for him. Yes, you know, please. We talk about moving Jay Bruce, or moving Brandon Phillips. Like they don't have a major league ready second baseman. They don't have a major league ready right fielder. Even with Marlon Byrd, Jesse Winker's got a three twenty slugging percentage in Double A right now. If they want to move him. There's no ready-made replacement behind yeah. Zach Cozart. They've built in Eugenio Suarez, who's hitting the cover off the ball for Triple A right now, uh, and who has major league experience. Like that's that's built in. And yeah. with Zach Cozart doing what he's done this year and only making what two point one, two point two million dollars as an R one guy. Mm. That's that's a marketable guy for sure. And you know you you want to keep him. He, he's got one more year where if he does. Three fifths of what he's doing this year, he's still super valuable, and so you'd like to maybe have that around. But still, you want to if you're talking about selling high, Zach 
Cozart is absolutely the guy. Yeah, and the and as you mentioned, the uh, the clock is already ticking on Eugenio uh, Suarez, and yeah, you know, we might as well see what we've got in him at the major league level. He he got a bit of a a, a taste of the uh, of the majors when he was with you know Detroit, but now. You know, it doesn't hurt to see what we can get out of him. And how, his, how old is he, though? Isn't he? 20, I mean, he's already 20, 25 or 26, I thought, right? I think he's 25 this year. Yeah. So, like, he's he's getting up there to, to where, you know, he, if if he's going to be an everyday Major League shortstop, he's, he should be getting that job actually, fairly he soon. Is, actually, he turns 24 on July 18th. No yeah, kidding. Yeah. 24. No kidding. Okay. Yeah, no, never mind that. Like, in terms of <laughs> yeah, it's in terms of prospect depth. Shortstop well, is one of our he's better. I been around forever. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. Shortstop is actually one of our strong suits when it comes yeah. to that. Yeah. The way I explain, you know, uh, uh, a college kid uh, who's going to be twenty-two, probably turned twenty-two earlier this year, he's hitting the cover off the ball at uh, high A. I mean, he's going to be a double A shortstop in the next two to three weeks, probably. And if he continues on his route, he's the kind of guy who projects as a middle infielder for the future for the Reds. And so, yeah, he's, he actually adds to Suarez as that shortstop depth. And you look up at Cozart, and you're like, oh, he finally is hitting the way that you hoped he would as he came to the majors as a, uh, a fringe top 100 prospect. And he's doing it just at the right time where his trade value couldn't be higher because he's not making a pile of money in the process. Right. So as much as you like seeing that Cozart is turned into the guy that you wanted him to be, from a timeline perspective, you don't need him at $5 million next year and at $8 million the year after that <laughs> right. if you've got those guys behind him. So, hey, somebody else might really, really, really need that. That's the thing, yeah. I mean, it's it's encouraging that Cozart finally turned into that guy, which, you know, in him coming up, I mean, he wasn't really a blue-chip prospect at any point. I no. mean, he was... You know, they drafted him out of college um, from Ole Miss, second or third rounder, I think. And, you know, he he was just kind of – he was already pretty polished. He was a really good defensive shortstop but kind of didn't hit Mm -hmm. and then broke out, you know, fairly late. But really, the Reds needed Zach Cozart to be that guy two years ago. Well, right. They needed him for the 2012 team. They, I mean, in, in reality, yeah, and, and you know he he got his respect initially with the Reds for, or at least amongst Reds fans for not being Edgar Renteria, right. or not. I being, mean, they were not being the latest in a long line of very Orlando very Cabrera, yeah, or, very very old past their prime shortstops. Yeah. He was somebody that was, yeah, but well, he yeah, was a utility keep, player. That's keep, a little different. Keep it going, yeah, keep it coming, like. There was they just they ran they out Cairo. Of, uh, a cadre of of shortstops who were way over the hill and really shouldn't shouldn't have been starting that many games for the Reds anyway. Like and other than Felipe Lopez, I mean, really, yeah. when, when was the last time the Reds actually developed a shortstop? Other than Felipe that? Lopez and Pokey Reese, it was Barry Larkin. Yeah, like the I mean, last right. ones that had multiple years were Felipe Lopez and Pokey Reese, and we didn't. And, and the Reds didn't really they develop. They didn't Lopez. develop Lopez. Yeah, yeah they traded for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, outside of yeah, Pokey Reese is probably the most successful shortstop, and they moved him. To and they second. moved him to second because yeah. of uh, Barry. So yeah, it's and he never hit. Yeah, and he he I mean, hit ninety nine. He yeah, hit ninety nine. He, he got, he got he on was, base in ninety nine. Yeah. Well, he hit like two eighty two. I <laughs> thought nineteen ninety nine. I will yeah. go ahead and look that up. All right. I was gonna say like two fifty. In '99, yeah, his best year probably. No, who? That was his best year. Yeah, and he hit like 250. He hit 285. Okay, so how many points off was I? 280. He hit 285. OBP 330. 330. Okay, well, that's that's solid. Yeah. Full season. And that's 585 at bats. I'll be damned. Yeah. Pokey. Poke dog. Can't never underestimate Pokey. Yeah, and that. then in two two thousand, he was okay too. He won a Gold Glove in both years. Mm-hmm. Both years, yeah, that's right. And probably that's fathered right. four and, uh, children each season. <laughs> and he recorded uh, the final out of the twenty two thousand four World Series, right? Uh, he did, yeah. And the final out of his career because he didn't, he never yeah. played after that. And not for the Reds, who are not in the World Series. Well, <laughs> he, that was, no, that was that was his last year in the uh, in the majors. Yeah, uh, crazy. Wouldn't. I, I feel like he stuck around the minor leagues for like a long time too, though. Oh, I'm looking it up. He played until 2008. Wow, so like that's four a, years that's in a, the bus leagues. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're carrying a glove like Ivan Jesus does, and no, he had one year in the bus league in 2005, and then didn't play for two years. Oh, and played in 2008. Ah, so probably in the Nats Yeah. Uh, or, yeah, I don't know. Either way. So, I, I I think we've talked a lot about the, the Reds trade deadline. The one guy we haven't talked about is Jay Bruce. Um, and I do want to touch on him before before we go. Jay Bruce is having a weird season. He's, ha- he's having one of the weirdest seasons ever. And not only that, he is also kind of a prime trade candidate. To where, you know, somebody somebody could oh shit, somebody could e- easily put him in the middle, you know, fifth or sixth in their order for a contending team, because you know he's still capable of tearing the cover off the ball when he's hot, but he he's so streaky that it's you know for the Reds it doesn't it's you never really know when it's going to happen. Or the way but, he's walking right now, you could put freaking lead off. Like, he's got a, <laughs> right. He yeah. entered tonight as, with a three forty two on base percentage, which for Jay Bruce is that's I, I don't know. It's not a career high. I don't think. I think it was twenty ten. He had like a three forty eight something like that, but it's well above his career average. Um, but yeah, he's he's not hitting the cover off the ball. He's walking a lot. He's not swinging at pitches that almost hit him in the shoes, but he's mm-hmm. hitting two twenty. Um, right and. Solid right field defense as long as the Philadelphia lights aren't shining in his face. Luckily, the Phillies aren't in contention, so you don't have to worry about that. The fact fact (laughs) that he's got that that, that team option tacked onto his deal, Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that makes that super attractive, I think. Because if you trade for him, it sucks. You're getting, what, one and a half years, roughly $18 million in the trade deadline? Yeah. And I, I think too. If, if he knocks the cover off the ball, you've got him for uh, two and a half years at thirty-one, which is a steal. 
and and I I think that you know if if you're Joe Schmo Reds fan, you're sitting here thinking, well, Jay Bruce thinks he they should trade him for a bucket of balls, but at the same time, you know when you look at when you look at him objectively, like I think that there are he he's the kind of guy who he could totally be a role player on a good team. And yeah. he could he could yeah. be that like I'll bat sixth. Play decent defense in right field. This current series, notwithstanding, and like, then that, you know, kind of like a Nick Marquez. Yeah, like you yeah. could he he could be a good player for somebody. And here's here, here's the Reds. I, the Reds need him to be an uber superstar, which he isn't. And that's kind of I think that's why Joe Schmo Reds fan isn't a, isn't Jay Bruce. <laughs> so here's where I'm at on Jay Bruce. Uh, he's Coming off basically the exact same surgery that Joey Votto had. And if you look at Votto's performance in 2012, late 2012 to early 2013, his slugging percentage was way lower than it actually had been his entire career. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and now you're seeing actually what it's basically progressing back to what his career averages are. And, you know, when it comes to Jay Bruce... His value may be stronger waiting a year as opposed to, you know, if we're having this giant fire cell to do it now, to see either, A, if he's going to go ahead and perform the way that the, his past career actually says that he has the ability to do. And if that's the case, then we could probably get an even better return on it on him than we would this year. Right. Yeah, and I mean, Jay Bruce is almost exactly a year younger and Todd Frazier. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, yeah, that's crazy to think about. But. It's crazy to think about, but uh, Frazier's February 86, Bruce's like, opening day every year, but he was born in 87. So if you're thinking about 2017, which is his option year, that would be the third year of Todd Frazier's arbitration and the final year of Jay Bruce's contract should you pick up his option. So, right. you know, if you're... From a trading perspective, in theory, uh, any team that would be shopping for a power hitter from a team that's selling off assets would be looking at both Todd Frazier and both Jay Bruce. And on Todd Frazier's uh, realm, he's a corner infielder who plays great defense and is peaking right now. On Jay Bruce, he's a guy who is a year removed from meniscus surgery. Uh, has that option here, which gives you a little bit more flexibility if you trade for him to not be stuck with that $13 million, I think it's 13 maybe $14 million 2017 contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's having a year that doesn't mimic at all what his entire past performances suggest that he is. So I agree with Scott on this, is that you know if, if you're looking to trade one of your core guys to restock the farm, you look at Todd Frazier and Jay Bruce... Barring a two-month run between now and the end of July where he looks like that guy who had 30 home runs and drove in 90 to 109 runs, I think, over a three-year period, uh, now's probably not the time, you know? Because for that same reason, that that third-year 2017 option makes him attractive for other teams for flexibility purposes. Holding on to him makes that very attractive as well. That means the Reds can hold on, look up, and say, hey, maybe he turns it on the last half of the season. We can build around that for 2016. Except, or the one, the one thing though, the one thing that I think that we're we're discounting though is that 
we don't need it anyway, and we can cut them and run. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting case study considering they're both yeah. on significantly different paths in their development. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get that. But, I, I mean, I think the thing that we're we're kind of discounting here, especially when we talk about Frazier and Bruce both, is that you have a, an owner of the team who is really, who is more about his heart than he is his head when it comes to decisions like this. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have Todd Frazier, who's a fan favorite, and you have Jay Bruce, who, if you look at the Joe Schmo fan base, they're, they they see a massive disappointment. Well, Bruce and is so a divi- I, I wouldn't necessarily I almost, say that. I, would I, say, I almost I'd say feel Bru- like, though... I, I would say Bruce is a divisive player. You've got younger... I mean, you've got you, you know, the, the younger, but, you know, very young fans that really like the way he hits home but runs. At, at the same time, though, if you, if you have an offer that's halfway decent on the table for Jay Bruce, and... You know, it, that makes its way to management that, hey, we could get, you know, such and such for Jay Bruce, and it's 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 an acceptable deal. Like, I, I feel like the ownership would be all about that. You see? Just because their, their core interest right now is doing right by the fans, and... Joe Schmell Reds fan wants Jay Bruce out of here. And if I'm and, and if I'm despite, Walt, despite if, the fact they should, if, if I'm Walt sure. and I have to sell a potential trade of Jay Bruce mm-hmm. to Bob Castellini, I go to him and I say, "Look, and this is the the position that I would take is, look, we have this offer on the table. Frankly, looking at how long it takes for." players like Bruce to recover from surgery mm. based on what I think we can actually do next year and possibly compete, it makes sense to hold on to him. And if we're not competing next year, we're probably going to lose him anyway to free agency. So we trade him then and probably get an even better return. I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a quick comparison. So Todd Frazier is a year older than Jay Bruce. Todd Frazier is 29. Jay Bruce is 28. Todd Frazier has been worth 13 and a half wins above replacement. Roughly, mm-hmm. according to baseball reference, Jay Bruce has been worth 15 and a half. They're both signed if you pick up every option for the next two and a half seasons. Uh, Jay Bruce has had multiple 30 home run seasons. He's driven in 100 runs before. Todd Frazier has done neither. You know, Jay Bruce has won a silver slugger. Todd Frazier has not. Uh, Todd Frazier plays a more premium position on defense, yet Jay Bruce plays the position where you need a guy with a big arm in the outfield and does that. And he should yeah, have won a gold glove. Yeah, and, and one of them's had major knee surgery <laughs> a year ago, and one of them hasn't. And so, obviously, like over the next two and a half years, based on their contracts, if you picked up Jay Bruce's option, he will end up making Frazier's making what twelve and a half over the next two. And if he keeps on this path, he'll probably make twelve his final year. So that's twenty four, twenty five minus a half a season, twenty two million for two and a half years. Jay Bruce will be making uh, what thirty. Over that two and a half years, they're still pretty comparable players in terms of career output. Both were number one prospects in the red system. Both were a first round or a supplementary first round player. Uh, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, dichotomy in terms of you know you look up at us talking trades. Todd Frazier slugging over six hundred. Jay Bruce is slugging barely over four hundred, but walking all the time. It's uh, it's a really really interesting comparison study considering. They probably had two of the most different prospect paths 
to all-star players as you could have. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jay Bruce came up at barely 21 and was a phenom and number one overall hitter. And Frazier was that fallen star prospect who then, you know, reemerged four years Ms. later out of nowhere. So <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting to see how the Reds place value on that and which one they think has more of a story to tell for the value that they offer going forward because uh, teams are going to be asking about them either way. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> so moving on. I mean, I I can't imagine outside of outside of the guys we've talked about, um, anyone else that the Reds would probably try and move, except maybe Pena, maybe Brian Pena. I mean, there's you know he's he's actually he's hitting pretty decently right now. No, we need to find somebody that can play bad, catcher. Then, yeah, then the again, Tucker cannot. Then yeah, say so then again. That, that gives you. He's, he's a lefty. You can hit ninety. Didn't didn't Chris Legrone start catching? Neftali Soto. Neftali Soto can huh. catch. He did it for a spring training like three years ago. He could totally do it. Whose organization is Neftali Soto in now? Though? I don't know. Is he not in ours? I thought he was. I I thought for whatever reason he was. Yeah, we no longer have yeah. him. We no longer have he Donald Lutz. He was with us with spring training. I know. Yeah, hey, Manny, that's Manny, Manny Parra is wait. Can we can we can we take a second to pour one out for the Knockworst? Yes, because yes. the Reds the Reds uh, released Donald Lutz yesterday, and because of Donald Lutz's already man roster mismanagement well, in my opinion, but so you know. in in a way, I mean, I was I was kind of talking to uh, to our, our our buddy Jamie about it. And just kind of seeing what the Reds' rationale was behind it, and it seems it seems like it seems like it was kind of what they had to do given the situation. But at the same time, yeah, it's it seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, considering he's, he's out of options, out of he's year. out of options. Yeah, recovering from Tommy John surgery, it kind of seemed to me like the Reds said, "Hey, the only way you're going to be on our team next year anyway is if uh, you either get cut and re-sign as a minor league free agent." Or we keep you on the 25-man all year because you're out of options. And the latter wasn't going to happen anyway. Right. I, I'm pretty certain they've probably said, hey, we want you back as a minor league free agent next year. Right. Get a roster spot. I, and, right. And I we, would think that that's, that would be what their, their mentality is there. Right. And I if mean, that's the case, then it's a procedural thing that doesn't really right. have and it's, it's, it's paperwork. I, I yeah, I, I have no doubt that it was a it's a procedural thing anyway. But just yeah, how it came off, like yeah, because yeah, so you don't close. you don't really see that very often as far yeah. as you know the Reds the Reds releasing players like that's that's weird, and especially the Reds releasing injured players like any any time an injured player gets released you i think it kind of it kind of looks like a jerk move in sync yeah i mean it kind of throws up red flags in a way right i mean it's it's not something you see every day and to, for the reds to be a team that just did that it it looked odd coming out of it but i mean i i i'm holding out hope that it's procedural i would love to see him in it at the very least a little bats uniform next year but um, you know, it's got Godspeed to the Knockworths. He is yeah. he's been our favorite favorite player we've ever we've ever dealt with. He and, is, and he is, he is now far, the right? most interactive player we've ever had with 
Reporter. He's, he's fantastic. He's and awesome. Totally awesome. Yeah. And it's kind of funny how we say, you know, and I agree with that on, you know, instinctively that uh, it looks awful when there's a player that gets released that's currently injured. That, but I think it's to an extent when there's still a glimmer of hope that they can, you know, actually perform well, right, or return to their performance. Well, like frankly, he, if, I mean, if the if the Reds, you know, if the Reds cut Nick Massett before, you know, or a season and a half before he I was mean, on the DL for and, two years, right. I mean, you you gotta you have to do. You do have to kind of think about it that way, to where this it's not like they're cutting like Yolman Rodriguez where he's still a prospect and can yeah. do something. You know, Donald Lutz is what, twenty seven? Like he's up there a little bit. Yeah. Though of course, you I know, mean, you, I, can I all, you can also still... you can also argue the fact that he has quite a bit of untapped potential because there was a sure. deep because he came to baseball very late, mm-hmm. you know, comparatively. And, you know, I, I think so. They kept Juan Duran instead, who still hasn't played this year and hasn't had a home base percentage over 290 in like five years. But and and that's that's what they paid that's more. What, for, they paid more for Juan. And that's what gets my goat. He's still only what, like 22, 23? I think, yeah. So. Oh, probably he's probably still like 18 because knowing <laughs> knowing like, like ZR numbers, yeah. Like, be, this the way that those signings seem after they they sign you 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 have you never have any idea like how how old they are just because they signed so early him him and Yorman both like it, it's always it's always been funny to uh, to watch Yorman Rodriguez's progression throughout the minor leagues because he's he was such a highly touted guy and the Reds have been pretty aggressive with promoting him but. It's it's funny, like he's always he's always the youngest at whatever level he's at. And I mean until now. He's the same, he's the same age as Chris Bryant and Bryce Harper and Right. But the Reds have had him forever. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, so, so. Uh, soon enough, Yorman, soon enough. Hopefully. I, I, I feel like Yorman will get a chance ish this year. I feel like we will we have not seen the last of Yorman Rodriguez in Cincinnati Reds uniform. If any of those trade prospects we talked about materializes and they liquidate the roster, Yorman's going to have about a three-month stretch to prove what he's got towards the end of the year. I and I, I think so, and I, I think he should. I think that's that's something that the Reds should like to see from him, and I think he's that, doing well in AAA right now, which is good. Yeah, I mean that's you that's know. what you want to see, but. Yeah, we got NBA finals too much. Yeah, so the, the NBA finals are on the sun, so we're gonna we're gonna close this out. So uh, um, the Reds are about to hopefully win. They're they're winning now, which they weren't when we started this podcast, which. Is a pretty good indication about how fucking long this podcast is. Should we just have a perpetual yeah, podcast, a rally podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Wick has work to do, so we should probably wrap it up a little bit. But uh, so the Reds will come home after this series. They have a homestand against the San Diego Padres this weekend, followed by another series against these same Phillies, which I don't understand, but fine. 
Um, and then they head off to Chicago. And then they go and play the Cubs, who and are I, looking as, as good as they've been all year. So. And I will see that game in person. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So don't expect the podcast that week. Yeah. What are you saying? Well, yeah, <laughs> next, a week from now. But when's yeah. the last time that you expected two podcasts? Or we a, haven't done in two, two podcasts in, in, in consecutive weeks. Maybe ever. So. Maybe if there's a fire sale, we'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. But, uh, I mean, the Reds do come home this weekend, which is nice. They will ho- hopefully kind of put themselves in some kind of position to do something Still so count. that we'll know Still more. Yeah, I feel like that Saturday game should be totally packed. You know, against I mean a good team in the Padres, right? They're they're solid, right? They're pretty good. Could the average fan name three players on the Padres? No. Were on the Padres last year. Adrian Gonzalez. Yeah, other than players that the Reds traded for. Oh, Matt Latos. Matt Kemp, James Shields, and Justin Upton, none of whom were Padres more than like five months ago. Yeah. Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah. They got got, uh, got BJ Upton, too, didn't they? They did. Yeah. yeah, that's Man, part of the package the, deal. The, the Padres yeah. are pretty much the oh that he's playing for them now. Oh, that team. team. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like the yeah. it was Pirates. it's it's kind of like the Orioles of the late nineties. <laughs> oh, Eddie Murray plays for them now. <laughs> Albert Bale plays for them now. Right. Melvin Mora. Yeah. Melvin Mora was a uh, Oriole forever. He was. Yeah. But okay. Let's wrap this up now. We've gone way, way yeah, long. I'm going to be up at like 4 a.m. Way long. Editing this stuff. So, all right. So, make sure to visit us on Twitter, at Red Reporter. Um, visit us at redreporter.com, obviously, where you can get the latest news, updates, um, hot discussions, takes. hot takes. We have plenty of those. And, and honestly, if, if the Reds are I mean, going to be terrible, Red Report is more visitable. Because it's, we talk about it's marinades. A, it's, a, it's, a much, it's a much more fun place <laughs> to be when the Reds are not good than it is when the Reds are good. Sorry, sorry, For sure. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's, the Reds are when, when the Reds are bad, Red Reporter is a support group more than anything else. So <laughs> Sometimes you need that. Right, right. So... Make sure to visit us there. Uh, make sure to find us on, on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash redreporterfans, which is our our Facebook page. Jeez. Lots of updates. We have, a, we have a Facebook page. I know, but we had to tack fans on the end of it in order to get yeah, the URL. Somebody, somebody snaked us on the regular one. <laughs> but, Was uh, it Dwayne? Probably. <laughs> Dwayne, we're coming for you, Dwayne. But, uh, uh, don't let so, alright, so sure. on, on behalf of Wick and Scott, I'm Brandon, have a good one guys.